it was a great moment for me personally because, you know, there's, I, I don't know if your listeners all remember Perry Mason, who used to, every night on television, <laughs> Loved it. would I still get watch someone it. to confess on the stand. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't happen in real life. It just hardly ever happens, but it did happen then. I absolutely was able to prove that Rosemary Woods was not giving us the true story. Welcome to St. Louis In Tune. I'm your host, Arnold Stricker, along with co-host Mark Langston. St. Louis In Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area, Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. On the line we have co-host Jim Bogart of the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, we're glad that you were able to join us today. And this is a wonderful book festival that uh, I'm sure a lot of people know about, but we wanted you on to get the information out to those people who might not know about uh, the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival. Tell us a little history about it and kind of what's on the docket for this year. Sure. The the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival has been going strong for 42 years. Uh, This is our 42nd year. Wow. Uh, Normally, it's a two-week event, uh, the first two weeks in November. And uh, unfortunately, this year, with uh, the pandemic and everything, um, we made a decision that that we needed to do it virtually instead of bringing uh, all of these incredible authors here to St. Louis. And uh, we decided to shorten it to uh, just a little over one week instead of two weeks. Um, and, but but the pack that week full of again fabulous authors, which which we've done. So it looks different this year, but um, being different, it, it also gave us uh, some some new opportunities to uh, to do some some different things uh, for uh, for folks that are interested in it. What kind of different things do you have planned because of COVID that people uh, might not be used to? Well, I, the the biggest thing is that um, what we learned is uh, while the events have been well attended for the, the past 41 years, and we draw over 10,000 people over the span of two weeks, and typically we'll bring in about 35 authors, um, this time being virtual, uh, we could allow people to uh, come to the festival from all across the country. Mm. Uh, they can they can tune in on their their phones or their computers um, and see these great authors uh, again from from their homes, from their living rooms, um, and people that maybe uh, have some disabilities uh, within the St. Louis area that normally couldn't come to the JCC building to see these authors again, can now watch these authors and be entertained and informed, uh, again, from their home without having to leave their home. So that was maybe the silver lining uh, in doing this virtual. Obviously, we hope next year that we'll be able to do it live um, because there's a certain electricity and uh, and just a certain um, uh, magnetic uh, atmosphere uh, when you have these authors in a room and you can meet them and, and talk to them up close and get your book autographed. Um, but, but again, that was sort of the silver lining we found in uh, this year's virtual event. 
I think that's a great uh, description of that and being able to have more people be involved nationally and even internationally. Mm -hmm. And then people who maybe would have wanted to go in person who have for some reason couldn't uh, and disability is a great one that – uh, you, man, you just open up a whole realm for them now, and uh, is this something that even when uh, you can go live, you might want to do like a, a virtual and a live mm-hmm. uh, sh- festival? You know, it's certainly something we're, we're going to look at. Um, we're going to be doing a spring uh, mini festival in, in April of 2021, and again, while we're hoping uh, all or parts of, parts of it can be live, uh, it may be a hybrid. You know, it may it may have that mix. And and again, we want to get feedback from people after this year's festival uh, as to what they thought about it uh, being virtual. And um, but we've got people from New York and New Jersey and relatives of folks of St. Louisans that uh, again live elsewhere that are really thrilled to be able to uh, purchase a pass this year and uh, be entertained for eight days. Uh, and again, these are folks that maybe you know couldn't come to St. Louis in previous years for whatever reason, and now they can see this great Jewish book festival uh, from their from their living room. And that uh, virtual pass, folks, it's ninety five dollars, and it is close to a five hundred dollar value. And when you hear some of the people that he's going to be talking about here in a moment, uh, if you want to get more information, it's three one four 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 two three two nine nine. 442-3299 or visit stljewishbookfestival.org. So, Jim, tell us some of the authors who are coming in. Well, we, we have just a, an amazing lineup, as, as we do every year. Right. Um, but again, this year, it's, uh, it's packed with 15 authors uh, over eight days. And we kick it off with Joan London. I think everybody in America knows Joan London from her days of Good Morning America and all the other things she's done, and that kicks off on October 25th, and that's kind of our pre-festival sort of appetizer. Um, And then we go to our keynote speaker uh, on November 1st, Barry Sonnenfeld, who is a highly um, respected uh, producer and director of uh, major films. You know, he did Men in Black. Uh, He did uh, The Addams Family. He worked uh, for years with the Coen brothers doing all of their amazing uh, movies. Uh, He did one of my favorite movies, Get Shorty, with John Travolta. I mean, he's he's phenomenal, and uh, he's got a new memoir out. And then, really, over the span of um, that that week, uh, after November 1st, we have something for everybody. We, we've got a, a cookbook on uh, on great de- on desserts. Um, we've got a book about um, uh, marijuana and and you know uh, growing mar- growing marijuana in the context of obviously uh, medicinal marijuana, which is you know in Illinois and is coming to the state of Missouri. Uh, we've got novels. We have our uh, annual sports night, which is just fabulous. We've got a, a wonderful new biography about Yogi Berra that. Uh, Everybody in St. Louis, whether you're a sports fan or not, should read because uh, uh, the author, John Pessa, has uh, some wonderful sections in there about the hill and uh, Yogi's childhood, growing up with Joe Garagiola and working at Ruggieri's restaurant mm. and, uh, and all of those things and, and hanging out on the hill. Uh, it's just a tremendous book. And then um, we've got... Um, some very you know serious subjects. Jill Wine Banks, 
who I believe you're you're going to be having on uh, uh, her book about Watergate <laughs> is uh, is a fabulous read. I just read it over the summer and uh, it's tremendous. Uh, and then we have an, an amazing mystery night with um, the incredible Sarah Paratsky and her V.I. Warshawski series. So, again, we've we've tried to get something for everybody and really have a nice mix of uh, topics and uh, and authors. How do you choose the authors and wow. or, or the books that you're going to do? Is there a, a committee that does that or something that you recently read, or what, what's the thought process behind that? Yeah, we've got a uh, we've got a board of um, of about seventy volunteers um, that meet. They meet every month, uh, and then many of them meet more frequently. Uh, they serve on different committees, and uh, they come up with uh, recommendations for uh, for books, books that they've read. Um, we also, uh, through the Jewish Book Council, uh, which is based in New York City. Um, we participate in a session that they conduct over several days where we actually uh, hear from over 250 authors who have written books in the past year. Uh, Each author is given two minutes to present their book, uh, and uh, we spend several days listening to all their presentations. The co-chairs and the staff do. and, and again, it's just uh, amazing to the, the diversity and range of, of uh, all these books. And so we can select from some of those authors. We send in requests of the authors that we like. And again, Jill Weinbanks was an author that uh, made her two-minute presentation. And we instantly said, yeah, that's a, that's a book uh, that we really want to feature. And we've, we've watched Jill on MSNBC with her commentary. Uh, and uh, and so we were fortunate enough to get her. So we get it from a variety of sources, and also the publishers will, uh, from time to time, because they know the Jewish Book Festival is so well attended and supported in this community, um, you know, they will uh, reach out to us and say, you know, here's an author that's got a book out. Um, are you interested? Now, the books have to be either written by um, someone who is Jewish, or they have to be on a topic that is Jewish-related or of interest to the Jewish community. Um, but that's such a broad range that it really allows us a, you know, a wide span of, of opportunity and choice uh, to pick from these authors. And the book also has to be either published uh, within the past year or coming out in the next, uh, in the next year. Now, are you able to stay on when we have uh, Jill on, or do you need to uh, go do other things? No, I I'd love to. It'd be an honor. That'd be, that'd be great. So we've been talking to Jim Bogart. He is co-chair of the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival, which is going to take place November 1st through the 8th. It is a virtual book festival. And for ticket information and a virtual pass, you can call 314-442-39, excuse me, 314-442-3299. 442-3299. And those virtual passes are $95, but it is a great value, folks. And when you just go to the uh, website, you, you can see a little bit more information about what Jim's been talking about as it relates to the authors. There's some uh, bios on there, and you get a chance to see exactly the book that they're going to be talking about. And also the people who are going to be interviewing them. Matter of fact, Joan London's going to be uh, interviewed by Kay Quinn, who's an anchor at KSDK News. So you really pair up um, great folks like that, and, and kudos to all of you out there at the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival for 
number one, putting this together, but really putting it together in a manner that brings the audience close to the author and in a time when you can really learn a lot about what's going on um, when they were writing the book and a, a little bit about their background. I'm really curious about this Yogi, uh, Yogi uh, Berra book. Oh, yeah. I almost said Yogi Bear. <laughs> he gets mistaken. They, they get mistaken a lot. Yogi Bear with all his yogiisms. <laughs> you know, you know one, of, one of the great things about that book, and, and he's going to be um, interviewed that night by uh, the terrific sports columnist Ben Hockman at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Huh. But one of the things about Yogi, with all the yogiisms, uh, people don't understand is that he was a very uh, successful and serious businessman. I mean, Yogi was a smart, smart guy. And people think he was sort of this, you know, comic person with the yogiisms. And, and that was sort of part of, uh, part of the, uh, you know, his uh, personality and, uh, and his reputation. Um, but he was a very successful businessman in, in, uh, in New Jersey where he, you know, spent most of his, uh, his time. That's, and nobody would ever know that. No, no, didn't know that. No. Maybe that was part of the uh, whole business-related sense. You know, if people think I'm this, then... Right. You know, I well, can... they, did, they didn't make much money as uh, baseball players back then right. either. Right, So they had to oh. have something upstairs to, <laughs> other than just playing baseball. I remember that first $100,000 yeah, contract. Yogi, uh, you know, in, his, uh, in the off-season at one point... Uh, Worked at Sears Roebuck doing something. I mean, you know, that's what ball players did. A lot of them worked for car dealerships mm-hmm. in the off season to supplement what they made uh, during in baseball. Right. Now, are there any special requirements, uh, logistically, technology-wise, uh, that anyone would need for this uh, virtual festival? Well, so we're we're using a, a Zoom platform, and we're putting all the technology together with all the great expertise we have at it at JCC with their staff, and uh, it's very simple. Uh, you know, we uh, once you buy a pass, we we email uh, you and let you know exactly uh, all of the information, the links. It's all on the website. It's very easy to navigate, um, and so. Um, uh, believe me, if I can understand it, and, and I'm, I'm as uh, backward as anybody on technology, uh, anybody out there can, um, can understand it. No, and you are underwritten by uh, a variety of, of festival sponsors and individuals who have supported this festival for a long, long time. It's been remarkable. You know, this year, just like every other um, not-for-profit, you know, we just didn't know the, the impact of uh, the pandemic. And, uh, and obviously, we, we were expecting the worst. And, and our donors um, have just stuck with us. And they understand the importance of sustaining the book festival so that next year, hopefully, when we're all uh, up, back up on our feet and moving around maybe more freely, and we have a live event uh, that the uh, that the festival will be back in uh, in its uh, full force. But uh, yeah, our donors have stuck with us, and um, and we're so grateful and uh, and really just so amazed that uh, that that's happened. And I think that's happened throughout the St. Louis community to to most of the uh, nonprofits. I think they're seeing donors stick with us to the extent that they can. Obviously, we know people have been hurt economically. People have lost jobs. People have lost loved ones, and um, uh, but uh, the staying power has been has been just terrific as far as our our book festival. Now I'm kind of intrigued. You have a little surprise thing where you have raffle tickets, and there's drawings several times throughout the festival. What explain that a little bit? 
Well, you know, in the past, the, the raffle has always been um, a, a, a really nice part of the festival that, you know, every night we raffle off a couple of baskets or, you know, maybe a set of gift cards at several great restaurants around town. And, uh, and people just love that. I mean, they love coming out and, you know, hearing the authors, but, you know, who knows that evening their, their name may be called and they may win a really nice thing. So, again, this time we're doing it all electronically. Um, people can buy their tickets. I just bought some raffle tickets uh, uh, over the last weekend, and it's very easy to do online. And, uh, and then we're going to draw names uh, each night. And um, somehow we will, get, we will get the items to, uh, to all the winners, um, leave it on their doorstep or, you know, whatever, and it'll be safely done. And uh, because, we're, we're, you know, we're obviously we're, we're very attentive to, uh, to the concerns of everybody's health and safety uh, during these, uh, these uh, pandemic uh, times. Now, I, I guess a question here, Jim, how did, how did you end up, being a co-chair of this festival, and how long have you been co-chairing? Well, this is my first year as co-chair. Oh. It's a it's a two-year um, opportunity, Sorry. and um, I've been involved with the the book festival. I've served on the on the uh, the board uh, for about five or six years, so I've been very involved. And before that, I would as an attendee, I I went to the festival and I'd buy a pass and uh, and come and hear these authors, but. Um, uh, for 14 years, I ran the uh, the foundation at the St. Louis County Library. You didn't know anything about books, we, did you? <laughs> no, I knew nothing about books. And uh, a lot of my friends thought every day I'd just sit around the library and read books all day. And actually, I had to do other things like raise money and, and, and manage the foundation. But... Uh, but they don't. My friends don't believe that. But um, so I've been a huge book lover um, for forever, and a huge reader. And uh, um, hi, this we, is uh, Jill Weinbanks. Uh, uh, hi, Jill. Okay. Hi. Sorry, Jim. Uh, we'll we'll get. No, okay. Hi, Jill. Hi. Sorry. It sounds like I'm interrupting, but I was holding no, on to myself. No, you're Glad fine. To have you. Yeah, yeah uh, Jill, this is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. We have Jim Bogart, who's uh, co-chair of the festival on. We've been talking with him. And I want to give a little intro uh, for our listeners. Uh, Jill Weinbachs is an MSNBC legal analyst. She appears regularly in primetime and daytime shows. She began as an organized crime prosecutor at the U.S. Department of Justice. She was selected to be one of three assistant Watergate special prosecutors in the trial against President Nixon's top aide. She served as general counsel of the U.S. Army, solicitor general, deputy attorney general of the state of Illinois, chief operating officer of the American Bar Association. And each of those was the first woman to hold that position. Congratulations. Absolutely. That's unbelievable. Good for you. Thanks. For being on St. Louis Thank in June, and we're, we we want to talk about your book. Can I can I just add can I just add one thing to that? Oh yes, sure. I mentioned it before when Jill made her two minute presentation at the Jewish Book Council um, this summer, uh, and we had a chance to hear her. We instantly said we have to we have to bring her you know to be part of the Jewish Book Festival this year. And uh, and her book is tremendous. So I, and I'll shut up now, and oh, no. we want to hear from Jill. But uh, oh, uh, but oh, don't shut up! I love what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. That's and nice. I only wish it was in person. And hopefully, maybe yeah. next year at the book festival, I can come and be there live. We'd love that. We'd love to, that. We'd love to have you. 
So, so Jill, give us some information on the Watergate girl, my fight for truth and justice against a criminal president. What was, what was this fire burning within you? Because that happened quite a while ago, <laughs> and you were— It did. That's a fire. Yeah, well, that, that is a fire. That's a fire. Yeah. What, what moved you to so write this book? I think what, what inspired me was um, that we had a second criminal president, and um, although we didn't when I started writing the book, I started writing the book in 2008. So that was when I theoretically retired, which obviously I have failed at retirement. <laughs> and uh, I finally had time to write a book. I think what got it published is that it became very relevant. And also because I was on MSNBC, I now had an audience, mm-hmm. and publishers were interested in uh, the fact that I had, at, well, now I have almost a half million followers on Twitter. Wow. And back then I probably had 40,000. But um, just having an audience made a difference. And it got... Uh, edited to a point where I had a terrific editor at Holt who said, you want to tell the story of Watergate through your eyes, and the stories that fit, that you will tell, will be stories about, for example, the obstacles that you overcame. So a large focus of this is obstacles, and that includes, obviously, sexism, but it also includes my own insecurities, which I had to overcome to to do this. Um, and what I hope readers will take away from it is not just lessons about how to approach different challenges in life, but that they'll remember a time when democracy worked, when justice prevailed, mm. um, and that it can again. So, but the main thing I want people to do is to have a good read, you know, just to enjoy reading the story. And I hope that I've accomplished that. Now, we've got about three minutes before we have to go to break. Here's, here's my big question, because you, you mentioned, uh, and I either heard this or read this, that when you were doing the trial and you were involved in that, you felt that we're taking this great institution of our country down, but you were doing it mm-hmm. because you had to support it. Am I, you know, correct me on that or, or elaborate on that particular comment. Yeah, I I don't remember writing anything about that, but yes, I think that is a very good summary, is I was just doing my job. I was looking for facts, for truth. I wanted justice to be done, and we were very lucky in the amount of evidence we were able to obtain so that the case was completely clear. And let me make a big distinction. Back then, we only had three networks, and they all had the same facts. We didn't live in bubbles where people believe certain things like Democrats are pedophiles. And, uh, you know, if you listen to Fox News, that's what you think. If you listen to MSNBC, you think a completely different thing. Um, At that time, we actually talked to each other. There was bipartisanship and there was compromise. And we all accepted the facts. We might debate what the consequences were but we accepted them as facts. So I think that makes a big difference in where we are now. That's very interesting. Your, your one big takeaway from uh, that whole trial, <laughs> I, I, and I, I'm shocked about, you know, you were the one that the Rosemary Woods, but I, I remember that distinctly being in high school. Right. Yeah. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it was it was a great moment for me personally because you know, there's I, I don't know if your listeners all remember Perry Mason who used to every night on television <laughs> loved it. I still watch it. Confess on the stand, <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't happen in real life. It just hardly ever happens, but it did happen then. I absolutely was able to prove that Rosemary Woods was not giving us the true story. And so that was a pretty dramatic moment in the courtroom. And I remember it so vividly, the press, which filled the courtroom, evacuated immediately to call in the story because it was a time of no cell phones. They had to go to a bank of pay phones to call the story in. Um, when she tried to demonstrate how she erased the tape, her effort failed in the courtroom. She could not do it, even when she was paying attention. So um, we then did some expert testimony and found that it was not an accidental erasure. And that changed people's minds about Watergate. I think it really was part of the downfall of the Nixon mm-hmm. presidency was people saw that they were lying. Mm-hmm. And it made a difference then. Quite a turning point. It did. I, re- I remember seeing her lean and demonstrating how she allegedly tried to do that. And uh, when I was reading yeah. that you were... There's uh, a picture in my book. Yeah, yeah. When shows I shows the, the stretch. Un- unbelievable. We've been talking to Jill Weinbanks. Folks, you got to get this book, The Watergate Girl, My Fight for Truth and Justice Against a Criminal President. Also, check out the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival, jccstl.com, November 1st through the 8th. Jill and Jim, thanks for being on St. Louis in Tune. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please take time to like and share this and other episodes of St. Louis in Tune that can be found on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. Thank you for listening. I'm Arnold Stricker.